Father, I thank you for the word of your power and the power of your word. I thank you for what you're releasing this morning. I thank you, God, that you're a good God. And I thank you that you love your people. And I thank you, God, that this message is going to go deep, 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 deep into the soul of Johannesburg. And I thank you that these words will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I was studying leadership on the African continent. And it's so amazing what happened because I was asking the Lord, Father, why have we had the leaders that we've, ha we've, we've had on the African continent? All these guys who led these liberation struggles and so on. What is the unique thing about them? What is the common denominator? And I felt the Lord say to me, it was courage. It was courage. And what is interesting today is that there are a lot of leaders who've got integrity. There are a lot of leaders with competence but there are few leaders with courage. To build your leadership credibility, it's important to be competent, to be good at what you do. It's important to be someone with integrity, but it's also important to have courage that inspires people, amen? And what I realized is that a lot of these guys didn't have the competence, they didn't have the integrity, but they had the courage. But a lot of people in the body of Christ today have got the integrity, they've got the competence, but they don't have the courage. I believe that if you look throughout scripture, whether it's a Gideon, whether it's an Isaiah, whether it's Paul the Apostle, whether it's King David, common denominator, you will see that distinguished them was courage. And so the title of my message this morning is Slaying Giants, Slaying Giants. One of the key themes in our vision as Go Christian Church is to release leaders. So a lot of people who are attracted to this ministry tend to be leaders. They want to be released. They want to do great things. They want to plant churches. We don't want to get cozy. We don't want to get comfortable. Amen? But if you want to be a great leader today, leadership is synonymous with slaying giants. You cannot say, Paul, I want to be a great leader, but I'm not willing to slay giants. And you see, the thing that qualifies us in terms of spiritual authority and true leadership is our ability to slay giants. The thing that qualifies you and me in terms of our leadership and our spiritual authority is our ability to slay giants. A lot of people have disqualified themselves from leadership because they can't slay giants. I'm not talking about leadership that is man-appointed. I'm talking about when God locates you and he notices you and he says, I'm promoting you in the realm of the spirit. See, what happens is there are a lot of people who are honored by men, but they're dishonored in the realm of the spirit. There are a lot of people today who are very famous and very popular, but heaven isn't applauding. I don't know about you, but I would rather be unpopular with man, but honored by God. Remember Jesus, he said, you know what? I don't receive the honor that comes from man. I receive the honor that comes from the Father. How many of you want to slay giants? I believe that there's some Josie giants that we need to slay. Amen? I loved what the guys up here said, where they said, you know what? We want to come. There's this militant thing, right? We want to come and we want to slay some giants. Say to the person next to you, I want to slay me some giants. All right? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to read from about verse 1 through to 12. The Lord asked Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul now that I have rejected him? as king of Israel. As I share with you this biblical narrative of David, I want you to see some keys here, because we want keys this morning. How am I going to be a giant slayer, right? I want to show you some keys. The Lord asked Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul now that I've rejected him as king over Israel? Key number one, being chosen by God. If you want to slay giants, you must know that God has chosen you. God has appointed you. God has anointed you. God anoints that which he appoints. Amen? Amen? If you've been called by God to live in Johannesburg, then he will also give you the resources to slay the giants in Jehoburg. And how many of you know that the giants in Joburg aren't exactly the same as the ones in Pretoria? The principalities that we're dealing with in this particular city are unique to this city. Amen? And so if God has called me to Johannesburg, he'll also equip me. God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. Amen? That's why the safest place to be in is to be in God's will. Amen. 
And for some of you, the strategy of the enemy against you is to distract you from the will of God. I don't know about you, but I want to know, has God called me? Has God chosen me? One of the sad things is that Saul was still king, but God has rejected him as king. Officially, he was still there in that position. He still had his palace, but God had rejected him. You see, sometimes when the anointing lifts on people, we call it ikabud in scripture, isn't it? Ikabud, the kabod is the glory of God, the weight. That's what that word means in the Hebrew, right? And ikabud is the glory has departed. Sometimes the glory has departed over certain churches, over certain families, and they're still striving in the flesh. And if you study Saul's life, you'll see that was the pattern of his life. He got into the flesh, but God had rejected him. Elsewhere in scripture, the Bible says, because you have rejected knowledge, so I will reject you as my priests. Now, people nowadays don't like talking about this, right? Sean said we don't mince our words. People nowadays don't like talking about this. They're like, no, God loves you unconditionally. He still loved Saul unconditionally, but he had rejected him in terms of the glory. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be a glory carrier. I want to know that God has chosen me. God has appointed me. It doesn't matter how I look. It doesn't matter what my age is. It doesn't matter what my qualifications are. We all know that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? If he has called you and chosen you, he qualifies you. Now, I find it interesting because God is almost frustrated with Samuel. Because he's like, how long are you going to mourn for Saul now that I've rejected him as king of Israel? Fill a flask with olive oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem because I've selected one of his sons to be king. I want to be associated with people who've been selected by God. Amen? Amen. When I go somewhere, when I link up with someone, I want to make sure that this person is called, anointed, chosen by God. That's one of the key things in terms of church selection, actually. And it's funny because later on, Goliath uses this against the children of Israel. He says, guys, I'm a Philistine. Who are you? And you know what he says? He doesn't say you're servants of the Most High God. He actually says to the children of Israel, you're Saul's servants. Imagine being linked with someone who God has rejected. You're servants of Saul. And what tended to happen is that the children of Israel internalized that which they had been named and labeled as by Goliath. I'm going to talk about that in a short while. Has God chosen you? Are you linking up with people whom God has chosen? Carries on. But the Lord told Samuel, don't look at his appearance or how tall he is. There's something about us as human beings. What is it about tallness? What is it about height? You know, sometimes my boys, they'll be having arguments with each other. Who's going to be taller? I know, Dad, soon I'm going to catch up to you. I'm going to overtake you. Now, I'm going to be taller than Jaden. No, I'm going to be taller than... And I say to them, you know what? I've spoken to some people who are very tall and they say to me, it's a mission and it's a struggle finding shoes that fit, sitting on planes. I remember one guy who I coach and he was telling me, Paul, it's a struggle when it comes to actually fitting in his car and he has to always push his you know, seat back and the person behind him can't fit anymore, right? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a boy. Everyone wants to be tall. What's it about tallness? And here... It says, do not look at his appearance or how tall he is because I've rejected him. You can look good on the outside, but God has rejected you. I'd rather look bad on the outside, but God has appointed me. Amen? Come on, there are a lot of people who technically speaking are quite world standards ugly, but super anointed. Amen? There are some people who are technically speaking plain looking, but they'll walk into a city and they cough and demons flee. I'd rather be that person than a person who's good looking, but the anointing, the glory has departed. You know what saddens me about today is a lot of people are preoccupied by outside appearance. How much mind share does that have? If we want to slay giants, we have to move beyond looking cute. Amen? Please, I mean, look nice. Please, don't be discouraged. Those of you who are good looking, please, I don't want to discourage you, right? It's okay to look nice. In fact, David was good looking, actually. He was actually good looking. But the point I'm making is sometimes we don't pray fervent, heartfelt prayers because we want to look cute. Sometimes the power of God wants to hit us in a prayer meeting, but we're still worried about our pose and our dignity. 
Ladies and gentlemen, giant slayers are not focused on outward appearance. Giant slayers are focused on the heart. He says, humans look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks into the heart. What qualifies you to slay giants? Heart condition. There was something about David's heart. Remember later on in scripture it says, a man after my own heart. There was something about David's heart that God saw. And God didn't just randomly choose anyone. You know, sometimes we've got this thing of like, mm, I like him. Oh, ooh, yeah, he, oh, I like. You know. No, he didn't. It wasn't a random thing. He saw that there was something about David's heart that qualified him for what God's assignment was for his life. Amen. Okay. What is it about your heart that will qualify you to slay giants? Then Jesse called Abinadab and brought him to Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah come to Samuel. The Lord has not chosen this one either. Samuel said, so Jesse brought seven more of his sons to Samuel. But Samuel told Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Could you be aligning yourself with people that God has not chosen? I, I preached about favor the other day. Could you be trying to do things where God's hand of, of favor is not on that business? I don't know about you, but I want to go where the life is. I want to go where God's hand of favor is. I don't know about you, but I want to be like a Samuel where scripture says he was established in Israel as a prophet and all of Israel recognized it. It says he grew with wisdom and uh, with wisdom with God. He grew in wisdom and stature. He grew with favor with God and with man. I want to be that kind of person. And it says concerning Samuel as a prophet, none of his words fell to the ground. I want to be that type of person. Amen? Amen? Where God establishes you. You can start a business, but it fails because the favor of God isn't on that business. Amen? The thing that will cause us to slay giants in Johannesburg is if we do what Dr. Yongi Cho did, where he just says, I pray and I obey. We're in God's will. We're chosen by God, selected by God. We do what he said we must do. And things happen. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds there's the power of the proceeding word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't want to do what God said we need to do that was relevant for the 80s. I want to do what God is currently saying we must do. Amen? I want to hear from heaven. Lord, what are you saying? Lord, what are you saying? When it came to even naming the church, Go Christian Church, people asked me, where did you come up with that name? I was lying down, it was 2008, and I was lying down. I said, Lord, what do you want to call this church? What should we call it? And it was one of the few times I had an inner audible voice, and he says, go. So this thing is not a man-made thing. It's not a man-made idea like, oh, it'll be nice to have a church there. Yeah, cool. Oh, we like talking. We like preaching. Oh, cool. Let's do it. Amen? There are many people in leadership positions today whom God has already rejected. How, how important is it for you to be approved by God? Whatever we do, people will say things afterwards, right? Some people will come and they will say, oh, that was great. Oh, lovely worship, Christelle. Oh, this was good. This was great. But are we consumed with what people say and their validation and their approval more than being chosen by God and his endorsement? I find it very interesting, you see, if we don't slay giants today, our children will have to deal with them. The giants that you don't deal with in your life right now, your kids will have to deal with them. Some of the problems we are facing in this country is because the generation before us didn't deal with the issues. A lot of fears are learned. Prejudice is learned. Little kids, they don't just grow up and suddenly start being racist, okay? They learn it from their parents. Like, they see their parents. How come you're always hugging those people and not those people? How come you only have these type of people over for tea and not those people? And after a while, you start to learn that, oh, I must be afraid of those people. They're dodgy, right? We pass on our fears to our children. How many of you know that Goliath had siblings? There were other giants. And we see in Scripture that... They didn't deal with his brothers. And then the generation later still had to deal with Goliath's brothers. Amen? I believe that God is calling us to slay giants in Johannesburg, partly so that our children won't have to deal with those same giants. Yeah. 
There are giants we didn't slay in the 90s. There are giants in terms of abortion laws that we didn't slay in the 90s and the 80s. And now our children are facing them today. I'm so glad that there's certain issues I've had, like certain fears I've got that haven't passed on to my kids. One of my fears is the fear of falling. And so we were recently in the Drakensberg by Kulnu Falls. I don't know if you guys have been there, Kulnu Falls. And we were horse riding. And my wife had gone with the two younger boys the day before. And then Samuel and I, Samuel, my eldest, we went the following day. So there I am, you know, I looked the part. I'm thinking, should I start cantering and so on? And then we get to this falls. And I'm now thinking, you know what, if I had my vehicle, you know, at least with your vehicle, you're in control. You can press the brakes when you want. And I'm thinking, I'm on this horse. What if this horse goes crazy and it just dives into the falls? So I'm now getting nervous, right? And then I say to the guide, to the guide, can we just stop here, please? Can we get off? So I'm already feeling nervous. And I'm thinking to myself, my son Samuel will catch on to this, you know? Like, we must be careful. There's a falls, like, literally, like, going down there. And he gets off his horse. Next moment I look, he's like right on the edge. I'm glad my wife wasn't there to witness what was going on. He's right there and he's saying, Dad, can we take a selfie? Dad, can you do it on this angle so that we can see like how far it goes down? I'm telling you the way I felt. You know when you've when you got a fear of falling, you get that vertigo thing and so on like this. I was like, Samuel, Samuel, come, come, come. And fortunately he came. But the point I'm making is for the most part, the fears that you have, they'll pass on to your kids. Amen. I mean, people who are afraid of dogs. How many of you are afraid of dogs? Okay, How do you, where did that fear come from? Have you been bitten by one? <laughs> key number two, key number two in slaying giants, serving, serving. One of the key characteristics about David was he had a servant's heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Now there's something in scripture known as, we call it the divine passive tense. So in scripture where it says, God put an evil spirit on someone, God hasn't got evil spirits that he puts on people, okay? But he allows it to happen. And what is interesting here is that the spirit of the Lord departed and there was a vacuum. And he says, an evil spirit came to him. Be very careful of grieving the Holy Spirit. Because when you grieve the Holy Spirit and the glory lifts, very often other spirits can come. Amen? We need God's spirit in order to slay giants. Jesus says in the New Testament, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And he was quoting the Old Testament, right? He was quoting the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And then he lists a number of things that he was anointed to do. That's slaying giants, but we need God's spirit. And what I find interesting here is that it says here, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 22 to 23, Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Was that David's primary calling? We know that David was a worshiping warrior, right? Was his primary calling to go to Saul and to play the harp and to have this guy delivered? It wasn't his primary calling, but he was willing to serve. He was willing to serve Saul. He might not have liked Saul. He might have felt frustrated by the situation, but he did it. He was already slaying giants before he had to deal with Goliath. Amen? He was already slaying giants before he had to deal with Goliath. And let me just say something about giants. Giants are those things that come to you in order to frustrate you, in order to intimidate you, and thwart the purposes of God in your life. The nature of giants is they intimidate. You know, there are a lot of people who are gentle giants. Okay? People like Ishe. He's a big guy, right? And, and if you don't know him, his size can be intimidating, right? There's something about giants. They're big, and bigness intimidates. Amen? But what I find so interesting is that Saul had an internal giant. You see, you have internal giants and you have external giants. Are you following this morning? 
We think that the main giant was Goliath. But Saul had this evil spirit that was tormenting him before he even had to face Goliath. And you see, many of us are trying to deal with the giants in Joburg that I'm calling the Josie giants, but we've actually got what I call internal giants we have to face first. You see, an internal giant for you could be the giant of perfectionism, where God is saying, I want you to write those books. I want you to deliver those sermons. I want you to sing those songs. I want you to cut that CD. I want you to start that school. I want you to start that orphanage. But because you're a perfectionist, that's an internal giant. Because you're like, no, no, I'm just waiting for the right team. He's saying to you, I want you to plant those churches. Ah, no, no, no. And you've got this voice that always whispers condemnation to you. That's an internal giant. And you cannot deal with the Josie giants that are outside of you until you've dealt with your internal giants. Amen? You see, this type of warfare that we're talking about, it's not limited to casting out devils in a prayer meeting. When we're there at Ignite saying, I rebuke you, spirit of promiscuity in Joburg. Warfare is way more than that. Amen? Sometimes it's about actually getting up and saying, I'm going to silence these voices in my head and I'm going to go ahead with what God has called me to. Why? You're using your own weapons. You're using your own weapons. See, for some of you, your weapon is writing. For some of you, your weapon is your voice. For some of you, your weapon is being able to do interior deco and organize events. Whatever the weapon is that God has given you, the Bible talks about weapons of righteousness. Whatever weapon the Lord has given you, you'll find that sometimes the internal giant that comes against you is the one that wants to squash you and say, you're not qualified to do this. Sit back. Amen? Amen. But what did he do? He stepped out and he served. He stepped out and he served in his area of gifting. He was gifted in music and he served I believe that that gave him a connection with Saul. I believe that later on when Saul then allowed him to do what he was suggesting he wanted to do, Saul probably thought like, you know what, I owe this guy something. It's fine, dude. You know, you did a great job in terms of deliverance on me. Go for it. Are you hearing me this morning? So what are some of the giants we have to deal with in South Africa? I believe some of the giants in South Africa are to do with fatherlessness. I believe some of them are to do with promiscuity. If you look at the promiscu promiscuous behavior in Southern Africa, it's very different to what you see in Kenya, what you see in Nigeria. I don't know if you know that. Those of you who've traveled up Africa, you'll know, or you've got friends from up Africa, when, you, when they come down here, they're shocked in terms of some of the behavior. I counsel lots of couples. I'm shocked by the amount of infidelity. And I've come to a point where I'm thinking some people just shouldn't get married. Don't get married. Don't get married. Why do you say I do and then now you get married and then you've got sideshows like regularly? Why is everyone going quiet now? <laughs> I must be scratching where it's itching. All right? Another, another uh, giant that we have to deal with in this country is division, the spirit of division. Okay? Poverty. One of the biggest moral issues in this nation is actually poverty. And the solution isn't the government. Okay? Violence. Poor education. And you know what? Again, the government isn't the solution. You know what African socialism has done to us on the continent? It's made us overly reliant on, but the government must do this, the government must do this. Do you read? The same people who are toy toying, complaining about the education system go to their house and ask me, do you see a library at home? Are they reading? So are they really passionate about education? Or have they got this gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy attitude, like, come, teach me, I want to learn, all right? It's a deeper mindset issue. Nelson Mandela didn't rely on, oh, you know, formal education, if someone come and train me. When he was in prison, he read, amen? And he studied. One of the saddest things for me is when I go to some people's houses and the only books I see are the textbooks that they were forced to buy it at university, nothing else. Amen? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Poor education, low self-esteem, and being politically correct. That's a big one. We live in a society where it's acceptable for people to talk about the universe. You know, the universe saved me. The universe helped me. Just put it out to the universe. People even have the cheek of coming to me, even though I'm a pastor, but I do a lot of corporate work and they come and they say, because Paul, it was the universe that did it, isn't it? So you put it out to the universe and they think I'll agree with them. And I'm like, humph, 
We're not pantheists. We're not animists. Amen? And I'm shocked by the number of Christians who use that term. Instead of giving God the glory, it's now like the universe. You see, when you put it out in the universe, look what happens. Voila. How does God feel about that? Amen? And so when people talk like that, it's allowed, but it's actually a worldview. And then when we talk about God and give glory to him, people say we're Bible bashing. I'm sorry. If you can talk about your universe, who you worship, I'll talk about my God. Amen. All right? Um, so there's low self-esteem. That's a big one also. All right? Do you know what the Josie giants are that we need to slay? What are the things that are unique to Joburg? I've mentioned some South African giants. What about Johannesburg? If you want to know what the ruling spirit or principality is in a particular city, study how that city was developed. Amen? Study how that city was developed. How did this city start? Gold. What was the mindset when it was birthed? Greed. Mammon. Okay? People were leaving their families saying, cheers, guys. I'm going to make some money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says to Timothy. Amen? And what would happen was that families ended up splitting up because of that. And so we see this thing going into the generations of Johannesburg where it's fine just because of mammon, just because of that extra five grand that you're going to make. It's like, you know what? Yeah, my family is just there. Yeah, no, guys, I'm going to DR Congo. No, guys, yeah, I'm going to Kenya. I'm going to be working there for two years. And then I'm busy counseling these couples. And then I say, so when did the affairs start? I know it was when, we started wor when I started uh, working away from home. Are you hearing me this morning? There's a strong spirit here of greed, of mammon. What is mammon? It's the principality that controls our spending. And you see, we want to be a counterculture. The church is a counterculture. What do we mean by that? We, we're not a subculture. We go against the prevailing culture. I've seen people, they grew up in Durban and everything was fine. The moment they came to Joburg, they had to keep up with the Jones. You know, everything is like, oh, look, look what he's driving. Oh, look what she's wearing. And you begin to live beyond your means. Now, you cannot rebuke a spirit which you patronize. You get what I'm saying, right? If you're oppressed by that spirit, don't be going to prayer meetings now saying, I come against you, principality in Johannesburg and so on. First, repent of that particular thing in your life and renounce it. That's how we deal with giants. Amen. Okay? So we've got mammon. That's a big one in, jo in the city of Johannesburg. We've got mammon, which is linked to greed. We've got families living apart. Don't attempt to slay giants apart from the Holy Spirit. That's what Saul tried to do. Saul was in the flesh and he thought he could deal with the giants in his life. I'm not going to go in depth into that. Don't attempt to deal with giants apart from the Holy Spirit. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1 to 7, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. The enemy has an assignment against you. God has a strategy for your life, but so does the enemy. And there are certain forces that are gathered, even against us as a church now as we're starting, because the devil is afraid. Mark my words, see what will happen over the next few months in this place. And the devil is afraid of what we're about to birth. These are the birthing pangs, birth pangs that we're going through. And the enemy is afraid of what we're about to birth. So what happens with giants is they assemble against you. But you have to be able to locate them in order to deal with them. You have to know what the giants are. And you see, I don't want to waste time trying to deal with internal giants that are self-made. See, what happens with a lot of Christians is they're spending a lot of time dealing with the giant of marital issues. If I spend a lot of time arguing and fighting with my wife, I will not have the energy to deal with the Josie giants. Amen? Things need to be sorted at home so that we are free to carry the burden of the Lord. We qualify to carry the Lord's burden when we're not carrying our own burdens. Those of you who struggle with anxiety and worry, that's something to deal with. Because God is saying, I want to use you to deal with Josie Giants, but you're always worried about, hey, my next presentation with my boss. Hey, my kids are doing this. Hey, my husband is doing this. And that's the giant you're dealing with.
It says the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. In order to slay giants, we have to go through valleys. David had to run down the valley and says he ran to Goliath. While everyone else is running away from the giants, if you just study that passage of scripture in your own time, you'll see that they kept fleeing. They kept fleeing, but David did the opposite. Do you know how you establish yourself as a leader in the nation? Find out what everyone else is afraid of and make sure you're courageous in that area. Have you noticed that the person who you look up to the most in terms of corporate leaders or great entrepreneurs, it's not because they're so smart. It's because they slayed giants. It's because their mindset was basically, you know what? I am courageous enough to pursue this thing and I'm going to go and I'm going to slay this giant. But there will be the valley between you and the giant. Are you willing to go through that valley? See, a lot of people are more interested in comfort than character. Ah, let me just remain comfortable. Ask for and no more. Paul, as long as my family is happy and everything is fine at home, then we're sorted. Is that the vision for your life? What forces are gathered against you? What I find so interesting is it says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was, and then it begins to describe Goliath in detail, all his weapons. Do you know what it shows me? Who recorded this? The children of Israel must have really analyzed this guy. And they were more conscious of the giant than they were of their father God. Because they're not describing how great God is. Only David did. But basically, they've studied the enemy to the T. They were sitting there saying, Eve, you've seen how big the guy is? How, how, is it seven feet? Eight feet? Nine feet? Eight, ten feet something? What do you think? Let's measure him. And then, oh, look, did you see today? That thing coming out of his belt. Oh, they were studying the giant. You know those people who see demons everywhere? They see demons on doorknobs. You know, and that's all they talk about. They don't lift up Jesus' name. They don't talk about Jesus and how great he is. They just talk about how big the mountain is. This church is a Christ-centered church where we keep the main thing the main thing, where we focus on Jesus, his power at work within us. And when you meditate on that and you focus on that, it's amazing how puny the giants that once seemed so, so big, so powerful, it's amazing how puny they are in your mind. Amen. Okay. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 8 says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? I want to mention to you key number three, divine strategy. You see, what happens is these guys had just been standing looking and analyzing this giant, almost worshiping him. They, they had no strategy. L read that passage. What were they actually doing? It says that the Philistines were on that side, we're on this side, and they're just parked off studying the enemy. No strategy. The problem with the church today is we've become comfortable just coming to church, and we've become, we're talking about it with uh, Ryan the other day, we've become consumers and not producers. Just parked off. Hey, guys, have you seen... All the infidelity, all the promiscuity, all the corruption, all the greed. And we just become whiners. No strategy. Have a divine strategy. When David managed to slay Goliath, he had a strategy. The rest of Israel didn't. They were just parked off watching. Amen? Okay? Now it's interesting because it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Giants speak. I want to ask you this question. The giants in your life, what are they saying? Because it says in scripture that it was after they heard him speak, it says they became intimidated. So yes, they looked at him, and of course they were afraid of his size, but it became worse when the giant spoke. What are your giants saying? Let me just say something to you this morning. The thing that hurts you isn't the words of other people. It's how you interpret their words, and it's how much you rehearse those words. That's the thing that happens. So very often your boss might say something to you, right? One thing, watch how you interpret it and watch how many times you rehearse it. That's how trauma develops in people. It's not the fact that that thing was said. Oh, there was verbal abuse. 
It's the number of times you rehearsed it. So it's as if that one statement ends up repeating itself a thousand times and the trauma is multiplied. And that's what happened with the children of Israel. Imagine 40 days of that where this guy is coming and he's just saying things and he obviously had the gift of the gab and it works. Look at what Muhammad Ali and the guys would do, what boxers do. You know, the whole trash talking thing. Why do they do that if it doesn't work? What are your giants saying? What are your giants saying? Maybe it's the giant of debt that you're dealing with. You see, someone can hear their giant speak and they turn that tragedy into a triumph. They say, this is my opportunity to slay a giant. Someone else can hear the giant speak and they're intimidated and then they put in their peri-peri sauce, their salt, their pepper. They add all sorts of remixes. You know, back in the 90s where we would show off because we've got World Dance Mega Mix 1990. I remember in 1990 going to Mauritius and I came back with music. You know, all the, the pirated music from Mauritius. I don't know if they still do that. And I came back with it at school and everyone's like, have you got the latest? Which one? And I was so proud of myself. I was like, I've got World Dance Mega Mix 1990. I remember that as a 15-year-old. Okay, but the point I'm making, you know, you become popular where you can tell people, I've got the latest. What have you got? Which tape? Right? But the point is we remix a lot of things that giants are speaking to us. I want to own my own narrative. I want to hear from heaven what God is saying, and I want to run with that. If you want to be a giant slayer, you have to have a strong identity in Christ. And what is interesting for me is that Goliath said, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? So he defined them and they internalized how he defined them because they didn't counter it. Only David did. Only the giant slayer did. You know what saddens me? In this country, many of us have internalized how a demonically inspired system defined us. There was a demonically inspired system that says, okay, you are now called colored and we're going to divide it up into uh, you know, the eight, of, eight different segments of coloredness and then you guys are called this and you got divisions that aren't there in the rest of the world. I mean, you go to Brazil, Brazilians are Brazilians. And many people socialize along those definitions. So I don't use certain terms because it's a demonically inspired term. And if you want to be a giant slayer, you have to be so strong in terms of identity to say, you know what, my primary identity is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. I still remember in my master's class, late 90s, we're studying psychology and we're sitting there and they said, write down a list in order and ranking with regards to your identity. And myself and a friend of ours called Sharon Blair, we both wrote first, we're Christian. That was the first thing we wrote at the top. Other people, female um, other student, because when you're a student, you know, that's strong identity. I'm a student in this country, all right? Some people, their nationality. Some people are more conscious of their blackness than of their Christianity. Ah, oh, Paul, are you speaking against black consciousness? You decide what I'm speaking against. You decide. You, you decide. Some people are more conscious of their blackness than they are of Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we want to function in miracles, if we want to see signs and wonders, one of the key things in terms of activating the miraculous is having a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why when Peter and the guys, they were there, Solomon's porch, and the guy said, please, 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 can you pray for me? Can you heal me? What did he say? He didn't ask for that. He asked for what he thought from a human perspective. He said, can you give me money? And what did Peter say? He said, silver and gold have I none. Sorry to do it in King James. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. When you know your identity in Christ, you give people what's in you. But you have to know it. Amen? You have to know it. To slay giants today, we need our primary identity being in Christ Jesus and nothing else. Otherwise, you'll say to yourself, I'm but a youth. I can't do it. You'll be like Jeremiah. Lord, I cannot. No, do not say I'm but a youth. Why? His primary identity was his age. You know what's so amazing? When Saul says to David, listen, dude, you don't have experience. You're too young. David was outside that matrix. His primary identity wasn't his age. He says like, no, guys, I'm not. It's not to do with my age. 
This is what I've done. I've killed bears. I've dealt with the lions. I've done this. People are going to try and stop you from doing what you're called to do. They're going to say you're too female. It's only for guys. They're going to say you're too black. You're too white. They're going to say, no, you're from Pretoria. You're not a real Joburg person. Right? No, Paul, Paul, that's too many books. It's too many books. Just slow down. We're not slowing down. Amen? Amen. People will try to define you based on their mindset instead of the call of God on your life. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, 10 to 11, then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I've noticed when fear grips certain people, often it's after a conversation. It's not like you just wake up and suddenly, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. We've seen in our lives, you know, if my wife comes to me and I can see she's a bit anxious, and I'll say, let's trace, let's do an emotional log on your day, and she'll be able to trace, excuse the pun, trace will be able to trace and see that, oh, it was when I spoke to so-and-so. And I'll say, can you see it was when this person said this, then the fear kicked in. How many of you that fear is contagious? If you look at Herod, at the time when he wanted to kill off all the firstborn kids, what does it say? Go and look in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Herod and all those who were around him were terrified. Who was terrified? Herod was first terrified, then all those who were around him. Have you noticed that when you hang out with some people, my wife will sometimes come to me and she will say, you know what, I was speaking to so-and-so on the phone and I was fine before I chatted to them, but I could feel the fear that they were carrying because she's sensitive spiritually that way. Amen? These guys heard what Goliath was saying and they were afraid. They were afraid. You know what I find interesting about the power of words? When, when David went to the battlefield... Firstly, remember, again, it was the context of serving. His dad basically said, go and look after your brothers. His brothers had been horrible to him, hadn't they? But he was still willing to obey his father, so he was serving. He gets there. He's now hearing about the reward system. Hey, you know what? This is the reward, whoever slays this giant and so on. And guess what happens? It says his older brother heard what he was saying to the other people and became angry. That's the older brother syndrome. You're stepping out you want to do what God has called you to do, and you will have that older brother who will say, why do you guys need to plant a church in Joburg? I've had people saying that. And I say, well, because we've got Joburg people, you know, and they're traveling all the way to Centurion. Why don't you just have a cell group? I've had people say that to me. And it's easy to listen to the older brother and kind of shrink back and think, okay, maybe, maybe I'm being too ambitious. But David was a giant slayer and he didn't. It actually says, when his brother came to him and says, we, say, we know you, who's tending your father's sheep? We know you, you're so conceited, you've come just to watch the battle. He heard those words. So there were words from the giant that was external, that was the Philistine. Then there were the words from the internal giants, your family members, the people closest to you. In some cases, your spouse. Ah, no, let's just be humble. Just, just make sure you're being humble. Then you start thinking, am I being proud? Should we just pastor one church only? Maybe we're being proud. Maybe we're being conceited. Be very careful of that. And then what happens is that he hears what his brother says, and he says, what's wrong with me speaking? Have I done anything wrong? That's all he says. And then he says, he turned away, and he continued negotiating with the guys because he wanted to slay the giants. Turn away from those voices because they're also giants. They're giants close to you. You'll be thinking you're dealing just with Josie giants and you've got giants around you that discourage you. Amen? Amen. What I find interesting, we'll continue with this um, narrative key and I just want to really highlight is watch what you're listening to. Watch what you're listening to. David turned away when his brother was speaking negative things and he didn't get distracted and end up fighting against his brother. He could end up with a long, heated argument, like some people do. You know what I've learned about church? Let's not major on the minors. Let's not sweat the small stuff. That's our philosophy. 
You know, in some places, it's like people are like, what's our dress code? What's our dress code? Do you know what happened at the turn of the last century when communism hit Russia? When Lenin came into power and he was doing his things, guess what the Russian Orthodox Church was debating? How long the tassels on their garments, their priestly garments should be. They were literally having those debates while the country was being taken over by communism. And that happens with a lot of churches where we get so caught up sweating the small stuff. So if you come to this church, just want to say to you, there's no dress code. Just come how you feel comfortable coming. Amen? Amen. I thought I would get louder amens than that. <laughs> just do what's Christian. Okay, just do what's Christian. Just be modest. And when prostitutes come to the church, they're not going to be dressed like you. They're going to be dressed like prostitutes and just get comfortable with that. And as they get discipled, they'll change their dress code. Amen? Amen. We're, going to major, we're not going to major on the minors. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. Dick Iverson used to say, keep the basics beautiful. We have to learn to make the basics beautiful. What are the basics? Discipleship, evangelism. Let's reach the lost. Let's raise up leaders. Let's establish churches. My wife said to me um, when we were on holiday, she said, if money was out of the question and you could just focus on something, what would you focus on? And I said, you know what? Going into communities, preaching the gospel, activating revival, raising up leaders, establishing churches. That's what I would do. Let's keep the basics beautiful. Amen. 1 Samuel 17, 12 to 16. I've paraphrased this already. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest and three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth, look at his servant heart, from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. You see servanthood throughout. You see, he didn't just say, I'm now in a season of slaying giants and that's all I'm going to do. Hey, I've cracked the nod, and here's me playing the harp in Saul's palace. So I'm going to quit looking after my father's sheep. It says he was back and forth from Saul and back to his father's sheep. He was between levels. And some of you this morning are between levels. And so you're confused because you're like, but God has raised me up in the corporate world this way. But why am I still doing all this stuff? You're still going through the test. You're still going through the test of servanthood. And one of the things servant-hearted leaders do is nothing is beyond them. No work is too menial. Amen? They're willing to serve. It doesn't matter how many times they preach, they're willing to serve. It doesn't matter how many books they've sold, they're willing to serve. And we see this with this shepherd king, David. And goes on to say, David was the youngest, but he was still tending his father's sheep. Then he says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. He did it for 40 days. Things changed after the 40 days, but he did it for 40 days. Some of you have been intimidated by giants for the last 37 days, and you're about to throw the towel in. I want to encourage you to hang in there because you're going through a test. Amen? I went through tests recently. I remember I would counsel so many couples. My wife will tell you, sometimes I would go to the church venue and I would see people five in a row. I would have had a full day of executive coaching, come back, come back to Centurion from literally 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. I'm counseling couples back to back. People are saying, wow, your stuff is so powerful. Wow, your stuff is so powerful. I'm doing it as a volunteer, not charging for it. Your stuff is so powerful. And I'm thinking, but when is the world going to see it? And then it was soon after that, as I continued faithfully doing that, what happens? Then the TV show thing happened. But they said, please, can you do this? Amen? Amen. Servant heart. Are you willing to do things when no one is seeing? Are you willing to do things in obscurity? No one was there to see him slaying the lion, slaying the bear. But that's what qualified him to slay giants. Amen. I want to encourage you, key number six, use your own weapons. Isn't it so interesting that Saul said to David, listen, dude, you're in a situation where you are too young to step out. Have I got my numbering wrong? Okay, it's one of the keys. That's what's important. Okay, use these weapons 
And he goes and he gets that shield and he gets um, the spear and so on. And what does he say? Some of you would say, hey, the king has given me this. Let me just try and use it. But what he said was, you know what? I'm not used to these. And he goes and he carefully selects some pebbles and he uses this slingshot. And I want to encourage you, use your own weapons. How has God wired you? If you try to do what I've been called to do, you'll fail. If I try to do what you've been called to do, I'll fail and I won't slay giants. Amen? Amen. Let's use our own weapons. For some of you, you're strong when it comes to counseling and that's how you're going to reach the lost because you'll counsel people so well and they'll say, there's a wisdom that you carry. Where is it from? I want to also walk in it. And they'll come to church because of that. Some of you, you're not good at preaching, but you're good at coaching people in terms of business. Don't try to be a preacher. Amen? Sometimes we've got this thing where we rank things, don't we? And we think that the penultimate of being a good Christian is being a pastor. No, because when you switch over to pastoring, then you're a bad one and no one is blessed. Do what God has anointed you to do. There's some people who like a church setting and like preaching to believers and growing them. There are other people, they're more effective slaying giants in the corporate world. There are times when I'm coaching people and the prophetic will flow so powerfully, sometimes more powerfully than it will flow in a church setting because God loves those people. There are times when I'm doing a corporate seminar and I'll feel the anointing and God's presence stronger than when I'm preaching in church. Amen. So people will say, when are you going to stop doing your corporate stuff and just do church stuff only? And I'm like, I don't think I am. Because I'm also called into that world. Amen? What has God called you to? What has God called you to? Use your own weapon. The next key. I'm going to just call it the next key. Keep your eye on the reward. Keep your eye on the reward. I find it interesting because in verse 25, so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter. Any single guys here wants a king, who want a king's daughter, right? And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Anyone want tax exemption? There are benefits to slaying giants. There are benefits to slaying giants. And it's important to know what the reward is of slaying that giant. Do you know what the reward is when you slay the giant in your family of false religion, where people are free, where people are worshiping Jesus, where there's no more poverty because of ancestralism? Do you know the reward? Do you remember what happened to Gideon? Before Gideon could take out the enemy, what was he told to do? He was told to literally slay down, to slay his father's images and idols, to get rid of them. For some of you, it's internal giants in your families. The next key, a covenantal mindset. What I find amazing about David is he was a covenantal person. Everyone was afraid of Goliath, but look what happened. It says in verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's covenantal language. David's mindset was, I don't care how big Goliath is. What I'm interested in is, has he got a covenant with God? No, he hasn't got a covenant with God. We've got a covenant with God and that counts. That's what counts. Are you covenantal? The key thing that will make you slay giants and be successful in this life is the covenant you have with God. The word covenant is just a fancy word for agreement. It's an agreement you have that God has sanctified. I don't know about you, but I love making covenants with God where I say, Lord, I will focus on you and I will do this and this and this and I know this is your promise for me and it will come to pass. I've got an agreement with God. Some years ago, my wife had a covenant with the Lord where the Lord spoke to her and said, take care of what's mine, meaning the church, and I'll take care of what's yours. Some of you can make those same covenants. Lord, I will look after other people's children in children's ministry and I know you will look after mine. It's a covenant you have with God. David was very covenantal in his thinking and he knew that there are covenants and with every covenant, there's a promise. Covenants have promises with them and he embraced that. And I think it's amazing. Let me start rounding up. I think this is so powerful. It's to do with resilience. It's to do with resilience. Verse 28, 
Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused. He spoke a whole lot of negative things. It was so similar to what happened to Joseph. Think about it. When Joseph was being exalted and he shared his dreams with his brothers, what did they do? They were angry. They sold him to slavery. Right? Similar thing you can see is happening here. It's a certain type of calculated anger. But look what David says in verse 30 and then verse 33 to 54. It says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, to fight with him. For you are a youth and he is a man of war. He's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from his mouth. He had a script that when giants in his life spoke, whether it was his brother, whether it was Saul, whether it was Goliath, he had a response. What is your response to those voices? That's resilience. You know what resilience is? Resilience is the ability to bounce back. And what I've seen is it's not the smartest person that succeeds. It's the person who's resilient. It's the person who's there in the workplace and can get negative feedback from their boss. But they still just bounce back. While someone else who's smarter than them is crumbling. That's resilience. That's the backbone we need. It's your ability to bounce back and it's how quick you bounce back. Some people say, but I bounced back. Yes, but nine months later. Oh, I had that terrible experience in my old church. It was really terrible. Then it takes you two years to get plugged in and serving God again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Resilience is the ability to bounce back. It's a term we also use when it comes to children and sickness. And we say, my son was so resilient, he lasted right through winter. He didn't catch the flu. How much flu are you catching? When you go to work and people are negative in the workplace, do you also become negative? Because what I see many people doing is they go to the workplace and the first thing they ask is, what mood is the boss in today? If the boss is in a bad mood, they're in a bad mood. They're not resilient. Amen? I remember one organization I was dealing with. I said, you guys, this thing is infectious. You guys feed off each other, your negativity. And they said, it's so true. They're in an open plan situation that is L-shaped. And they said, Paul, the tension starts there in that corner. And it literally spreads. They were not resilient. If we want to slay giants in this season, we must be resilient. Amen? God is calling us to be a resilient people. You know what I find exciting? David listed a whole lot of great things that he had done in the past. And guess what he says? He says, I, sl I, I, I slew this, I did this, I did that. Some of the negative things that you've experienced in your life, some of the negative things you've experienced in your life, God was preparing you to deal with the giants you have to face today. Amen? God was preparing you for the giants you have to deal with today. How many of you this morning are going to say with me, Paul, I want to be a giant slayer. The final thing that David did, if you look at the language that he used, I'm going to look at verse 50. I don't want to read the whole passage. If you continue reading, you'll see that David, when he challenged them, he says, you know what? The same God who delivered me back in the day is the same God who's going to deliver me today. That's what he said. He gave God the glory. And that's the final key I want to give you. The battle is the Lord's and he will get the glory. Play your own game. Those of us who support a particular team, we're happy because the new coach is letting our players play their own game. You'll see this afternoon, right? And some people, some of the pundits have said, you know what, when it comes to Paul Pogba, you need to allow him, give him freedom. There's certain players that just need the freedom. If we're going to slay giants, we must allow people to do it in their own style. We're not going to cookie cut you in this church. We're going to allow you to use the weapons that God has given you and the battle is the Lord's. Are you ready to slay giants? Let's pray.
every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're in a space where you want, you're basically saying, Paul, you know what? I want to slay giants. I want to slay giants. I want to slay giants. I'm tired. I've been distracted with other things. But I want to be a giant slayer in Joburg. I want to be equipped for this. Just stand where you are and we will pray together as a church. Father, we thank you for what you are doing. And we thank you, God, that you've made us giant slayers. We thank you that you've called us and you've anointed us. And we want to serve you with a servant heart. We want to walk knowing that we've been called and we've been chosen by you. We don't want to be intimidated anymore by the giants in our lives. Some of you have got internal giants that you've been dealing with and it hasn't freed you up to deal with the external giants. Just stand where you are and you're saying, I want to deal with those internal giants so that I can be used with the external ones. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst and I thank you that you've made us a giant slaying church. God, have your way. Anoint your people. Let your glory be upon each one of us. Activate the giant slaying anointing in us, we pray. And the people of God said, amen and amen.